The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. To the Rotowire Prospect Podcast, Cleveland here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. Big shout out to New Day. Thank you for letting us use the song Lion Kings as our intro of the season. That's N E U D A E at New Day Music on Twitter. You're going to have to bear with me on this pod. I've been feeling like crap for the past like 48 hours or so. Uh, just like a constant headache and other you know symptoms that we don't need to get into. <clears throat> you can probably piece that together, but. James, we got to talk about your latest Farm Futures piece. Also, move on to number eight on our hip-hop album countdown. Your latest Farm Futures piece, a post-deadline look at the farm systems in baseball and ranking them accordingly. And we talked a couple weeks back about, you know, being, you know, I thought maybe the White Sox had the best system. You, you know, overruled me, as you should there. But now it seems like there's a a pretty sizable gap, in your opinion, between these two uh, systems. Well, there was a big gap for me back when we were talking about that but i couldn't really quantify it uh sure so i just i i kind of came up with a a formula to rank uh all the systems in baseball based on the top 400 prospect rankings you know obviously giving more weight to 
guys that are that are ranked higher, but also rewarding teams that have a lot of players in the top four hundred. Um, you know, the rankings definitely aren't perfect, but you know, it's it's not perfectly linear in terms of rewarding players for for being higher than others. But I think it, you know, with with four hundred players, I think there's a, a large enough sample to kind of cancel out most of that noise. And you know, I'm not a I'm not a math major, so I mean, I'm sure somebody over at five thirty eight could devise a a more perfect formula. But uh, this one's pretty easy to understand if you if you check out the piece, you can can see that up up near the top there. Um, but yeah, just it it kind of. Yeah, each team ends up getting a, a score for how many players they have in the top 400 and, and where those players are ranked. And yeah, the Braves have finished with a, a score of 106. The White Sox are second uh, with 90 and Padres are 88. Brewers are 83. So like the White Sox actually, based on this methodology, are closer to the rest of the teams in the top five than they are to the Braves who to me you know until guys like Ozzy Albies and um Ronald Acuna graduate presumably by the end of next May uh the Braves still have the best system in baseball by a notable margin interesting yeah it's not like this system is all that convoluted but a more straightforward thing here that you point out is you know Braves have nine players in your top 100 that's uh, pretty remarkable. And we saw Albies get the call, as you kind of alluded to. What are you expecting from Albies over the rest of the season? Not a ton. I mean, he's just not going to be hes not going to be a guy that's all that impactful over a short stretch of time, especially his first uh, shot against big league pitching. He's, you know, a guy that maybe, you know, it, I think the best case scenario is that his career is sort of like a Elvis Andrews type of career. Uh, but you know, I, I think that that's maybe you know a little instructive in the fact that Andrews didn't start hitting for power till later on. You know, maybe there's there's some changes to the baseball, some changes to the way guys are taught to swing these days. That maybe Albies can tap into some you know five to ten homer power earlier in his career. But I, it's still not going to be enough. I mean, he might hit like two home runs the rest of the way, and to me, that would actually be. I, you know, I might take the under on two home runs the rest of the way. The speed's obviously going to be there, but it's it's not elite speed. It's not D. Gordon or Billy Hamilton type of speed that's going to really uh, swing a category in a, in a two month span. And then, you know, he's a guy that you you expect to hit for a high batting average over his career, but it wouldn't be surprising at all if there was a little bit of a adjustment period to, to big league pitching the only time he's ever really needed a significant adjustment period was when he got to triple a from double a last year so it wouldn't be surprising to me if he hit you know 260 270 with eight steals maybe something like that the rest of the way so sure if you want to go grab him in in deeper leagues as a middle infield option that's fine i just wouldn't expect him to really be a, a guy that carries you over the final two months and how much have you soured on dansby swanson because we've seen a lot of struggles not on your list anymore but is it something where if you had to slot him in he might be outside the top 100 uh you know I, that's that's one of those things where i'm just really happy i don't have to mm-hmm. rank him anymore i there's nothing there's nothing tougher than evaluating 
uh, high caliber prospects who have struggled over their first, you know, 150 or so games in the big leagues. It's just, that's a really tough type of player to, to really get a good, good read on because it's too, it is absolutely too early to say that a player like that can't figure it out, can't turn it around. I mean, we've seen it many times i mean there are countless examples of guys that were once top 10 prospects and then went one two sometimes even three or four years in in the case of a guy like alex gordon or justin smoke before they finally figured things out so obviously swanson could turn it around but it's it's definitely not a great sign and it's it's going to be tough to get a ton for a guy like swanson in a trade so that i think that has to be factored in as well I think I'd probably still have him in the top 100. He he wouldn't be in the top 50. I mean, you know, how, how does he compare to a guy like J.P. Crawford is maybe a, a good way of looking at it where Crawford's a guy that obviously, you know, his, his struggles have come before he even got to the big leagues. They've come pretty hard at AAA for him, and, and he's still in the top 100. Uh, I think Dansby Swanson would probably be you know, maybe five or 10 spots behind a guy like J.P. Crawford if, if he's still qualified. So the White Sox, we talked about a lot of their acquisitions last week because they made most of their moves, you know, in the days and weeks leading up to the deadline. But anything else you want to add uh, about the White Sox system? Yeah, it's. I think you could definitely see this being uh, the top system in baseball if they had gotten the type of... Uh, the type of quality haul that they got for Jose Quintana, if they'd gotten that type of haul in the Chris Sale and Adam Eaton trades, and they just, they really didn't, you know, I think of, of all the players that they got back in the Chris Sale and Adam Eaton trades, uh, the only guys who haven't seen their stock uh, take a hit are guys like Dane Dunning, Ronaldo Lopez, those guys, you know, Dunning's probably improved his stock slightly. Ronaldo Lopez is kind of right where he was this time last year, in my mind. So, uh, and those guys are both outside of the top 100. So, I mean, that that those everyone else in those deals, Lucas Giolito, Jan Mancada, Luis Alexander Basabe, those guys have all uh, taken. You know, in Mancada's case, he he fell from the top prospect in the game down to I think I'm ranked seventh now. Uh, Lucas Giolito obviously was a guy who was you know borderline top 25 prospect at the time of that deal now he's outside of the top 120 uh, and Luis Alexander Basaba is barely hanging on as a top 400 guy when he was inside the top 100 at the time of that deal if they had if they had nailed those two trades this would probably be the top system in baseball but I think you can safely say that they would uh, have hoped to have done better I think especially in that Adam Eaton trade where right now to me it's it's really hard to see a even a number three starter you know confidently coming from that that return all so the Padres weren't all that active at the deadline didn't move Brad Hand stood by that price tag which does kind of make sense given well I actually it didn't turn out to be the seller's market that I really expected it to be but also the fact that hands under control for several more years makes some sense. But we talked about Fernando Tatis Jr. last week. And you mentioned here that, man, there are 26 prospects they have in, their, in your top 400, and 19 of which are 20 years old or younger. Who are some of the other hidden gems in this system? 
Well, even with, you know, we, we found out that Anderson Espinosa is going to need Tommy John surgery, but even with that news, this is still, you know, top three, top four system in terms of pitching prospects. They've, they're just loaded with depth on that side. Uh, you know, guys like Cal Quantrill, I mean, he's, he's a household name at this point uh, among uh people that follow prospects Mackenzie gore has just been dominant since getting drafted this uh, this past uh, june uh adrian morion's really been impressive in his his pro debut this year uh, same with michael baez uh, jorge ona has been really heating up at uh i think he's still at low a he actually might have just got moved up to high a. um they they hit luis hit on luis camp campusano in this year's draft they just have a a ton of guys that they've signed on the international market in in recent years that either have shown promise or you know haven't done enough to dissuade anyone of the the notion that they could turn into something special i mean they it's it's a system where it, it could be one of the all-time great farm systems in about two years because they're going to get to pick in the top five uh, for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's hard to envision when this Padres team is going to not be picking really high in the draft. And they've proven since AJ Preller got there that nobody's better than they are at identifying international talent and going and, and locking that talent up. And they've they've proven that they're uh, very adept at pilfering other teams' farm systems in in trades. So uh, it's it's just a, a really really well run machine they have over there. Uh, they don't have the type of you know top one hundred talent that uh, the Braves or the White Sox do. But I mean they're they're probably the deepest deepest system in the game. Just thinking aloud here. Do you think? the international market is the best way to rebuild a farm system in today's game because i've so baffled by some teams just mm-hmm. you know total the orioles yeah the orioles exactly just totally unwilling to dive into that market they're constantly giving away their slot money do you think that the potteries are kind of setting a new standard for, for rebuilding clubs you know i think that that's been kind of a a little bit of a under discussed topic uh over the past couple of years you know you look at my top 12 um i think clint frazier kyle tucker and Lu- and louis brinson and louis brinson are the are the only t- three guys in the top 12 that were not acquired on the international market so that kind of tells you where where the impact talent is coming from it's not coming from the u.s predominantly it's coming from latin america and the new international signing rules uh make it i mean a lot of the guys the padres have signed and brought in they did under the old system where they could just give a guy four six million dollars pay the tax on that and get the prospect whereas now you're you're only set with a a set amount of money to work with but you can still trade for other teams bonus pools like teams have been doing with the orioles uh so yeah i mean if you're not at least you know and i think over half the teams in in major league baseball are pretty active internationally as as they need to be i mean if you're not at least in the mix and you know every couple of july 2 signing periods if you're not signing at least one or two guys in the top 20 or top 30 
then you're really going to get left in the dust. And, you know, I think most teams have figured that out. And the, the teams we're talking about here in, in the top five, the top eight, nine, ten, most of those teams have a really good handle on, on how to acquire international talent. But a lot of the teams that you're going to see at the, the bottom of this list just either haven't had success when they've when they've gone international shopping or they just have completely ignored that marketing all altogether yeah that's one area with my reds where i don't have as big of a gripe because at least they have been kind of active they haven't hit on a ton of guys but they've hit on some iglesias chapman of course uh just about being in that mix because so especially for small market teams like that you know when you're having such a difficult time getting free agents to come and you're not drafting particularly well at least the reds weren't there for several years you got to hit on the international market number four brewers i mean we've talked about this system as well recently quite a bit i was surprised to see brinson sent down but i guess they got to give Keon another chance but you know it wasn't like they broke the bank at all to get a sunny gray they gave up a guy like ryan cordell to get swarzak i thought those were all pretty good moves because they really weren't mortgaging their future at all no and i think the the big theme to me at this year's trade deadline was the teams that weren't you know deadlocks to win their division were just i think too intimidated and maybe rightfully so of the the top teams you know the dodgers the nationals the cubs the astros uh the indians the yankees the red sox i mean if you weren't one of those seven teams then I think everyone, even though it was absolutely a buyer's market, there just wasn't, you know, the Brewers, if, if you get really aggressive and go out and get a guy like Sonny Gray, I still think most people would pick the Cubs to, to win that division. And you've then traded probably three of your top seven or eight prospects to go get a guy who might only drag you to the wild card game and i mean yeah he's under control for a couple more years but they have pitchers coming i mean there's there's just such an emphasis in, in holding on to your controllable assets and the brewers are definitely not going to be the type of team that goes out there and takes big swings on the trade market with those prospects i think they're going to follow kind of in the footsteps of the astros now the astros have made some trades obviously to get a guy like ken giles to get carlos gomez but those trades i mean they're they're batting about 50 percent on those i mean some of them have worked some of them haven't their best moves have been when they've drafted developed and, and brought guys up to the big leagues so i think the brewers are going to really try to model themselves in that manner and maybe even kind of in the the way the dodgers do business where they'll they'll make a trade but they're not going to trade you anyone who they consider to be a potential key piece for them going forward yeah, I mean, I was kind of shocked that they were able to get Darvish for what they did, but not really also because they gave up some good pieces. But they were, yes, steadfast and not trading Verdugo, not trading Walker Buehler, and I think that's a very smart thing to do because really when you get to those guys at the major league level, you can't get more valuable assets than those guys playing for you know peanuts and, and really providing excellent production but one guy in the brewers system that's well at the major league level right now josh Hader, not on your top 400 anymore every time i see this guy he just looks nastier and nastier do you expect fully expect him to transition and be stretched out as a starter next spring i think that he will absolutely be stretched out in spring training 
uh, not positive that he'll break camp in that rotation. Uh, it's just going to be kind of a numbers game where, you know, you assume a guy like Jimmy Nelson, Chase Anderson, Zach Davies, they're all guaranteed spots if they're healthy. Uh, you know, the, Brandon Woodruff's going to get an opportunity this weekend to, to join the big league rotation. If he pitches well down the stretch, I think he'll be ahead of Hader in that pecking order just because Woodruff is much more suited, I think, for the rotation than for relief. I think, you know, with a guy like Hader, you could still use him as a super reliever for you in the first half next year if you don't have an obvious spot for him and then maybe stretch him out if an opening pops up you could even keep him in the bullpen for a a full season and then and then add him to the rotation in in 2019 uh kind of like the the white Sox did with chris sale so i mean there's there's a lot of ways that they could go about doing this uh i think if if hater goes out in, in spring training and just dominates as a starter chances are probably pretty good that he that he ends up in the rotation but I, i'm not going to say hard and fast that yeah I, I definitely think he's gonna be a starter for for most of next season because it's it's just not a lock yeah still valuable though as you said in this current role I, i've been hesitant to activate him and a staff keeper one because you know in that role i just thought man i could stash him in a minor league spot but he's going to blow past 20 appearances it looks like and he's been you know i'm missing out on these six you know five six k performances and three inning relief stints uh, i feel like if he were in my lineup since his activation he could have really helped me but i'm still still keeping him in a minor league spot for now but i think that was uh, a mistake in the end the astros number five i want to jump to the rays at six because i'm a little surprised to see him this high i mean i thought they had a you know pretty close to a top 10 system but seeing them at six ahead of the phillies yankees dodgers a little bit surprising to me who have been the big risers in that system well jesus sanchez has probably been the big riser the the whole reason the rays are here is because they are the only team in baseball with five prospects in the top 50 and so i mean if you if you can do that that's that's gonna this the system the the formula i mean if you go check it out like that's going to really score pretty well for you. And, you know, Willie Adames is a guy we all knew about coming into the year. He's pretty much done exactly what I think most people expected. You know, he's, he's doing pretty well at AAA for a guy who's much younger than the average pitcher he's facing. Uh, Brent Honeywell has probably exceeded expectations this year. Obviously, people have been stashing him in a lot of leagues, hoping that he can help in, in the big leagues this year that hasn't happened but i think he's poised to be a a really trendy target for for fantasy uh, owners in 2018 uh jake bowers is is a guy that i think you know alex verdugo gets a ton of love for what he's doing at triple a um given his age and his his plate skills i mean bowers is it's kind of right there doing doing a lot of the same things and and he'll be i think spending most of next season in the the rays lineup and then uh brandon mckay obviously their first round pick this year is in the top 50 uh so yeah i mean jesus sanchez probably the big riser but i mean i think the big thing for them is that guys like adamas honeywell bowers haven't graduated and haven't hurt their stock plus they get to inject uh this year's first rounder in there and and they signed the top player in this year's july 2 class wander franco so uh adding talent while having most of 
they're they're high end guys hold their value has been kind of the key for them and they got my boy lucius fox inside that top 100 uh gotta love lucius phillies at number seven they weren't all that active at the deadline outside of that uh jeremy hellickson trade what a what a blockbuster that was but the yankees they were very active just generally what do you think of that sunny gray trade because yeah two of those guys were hurt but that's a that's a lot to give up I mean, maybe not if it pays off for the World Series, but those are some legitimate talents that they uh, that they sent away to get Gray. I think people, I think the general public was uh, a little higher on Sonny Gray as this mega trade chip than uh, baseball t- teams were. I mean, I think a lot of MLB teams look at him as a guy who's a probably a number three starter on a good team and given his height and his his past injury issues and his underperformance in recent years i mean he's he's a guy that carries some risk so i think the i mean to me this is a a no-brainer for the yankees because they've their team that's clearly part of their rebuild was building up a farm system that would allow them to go out and get chips like a like a sunny gray at the trade deadline and the starting rotation really was the only spot where they could use a, a major upgrade after they had made that trade with the White Sox to, to bolster the bullpen. So I totally get it from their standpoint. You might not have even been able to find room for a guy like Dustin Fowler next year. And, uh, you know, James Caprillion, obviously a ton of upside, but a ton of risk as well. Jorge Mateo is a guy that I don't think they've really been that high on for a couple of years now internally. So no brainer for them i think the i think i like what the a's did though and just going after upside i mean fowler might not have crazy fantasy upside but i think in 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 real life sense he's a guy that people think has a chance to be a plus center fielder so makes sense to go get him jorge mateo obviously plenty of upside as a guy that could probably play any of three spots up the middle caprillion chance to be a number two starter if he can uh, get healthy ton of risk there obviously i the one question i have is if they had a chance to choose between Jorge Mateo and Estevan Floreal, uh, and they ended up choosing Mateo or perhaps didn't hold out aggressively enough for Floreal, then I think it was a mistake because I think I just have a hard time seeing the Yankees passing on this deal over Floreal, who's probably three years away at least. They have a ton of outfielders, young outfielders, so I just I can't imagine they would have said no on that. So if they if they chose Mateo over Florial, I would probably have have a gripe there. But in general, I think it, it worked out for both sides. We talked last week about the Dodgers and how they kind of well how it seemed inevitable that they'd move Willie Calhoun. Indeed, they did in that Darvish trade. Can you tell me anything else about the other prospects involved in that deal? Yeah, you know. Uh, the Brendan Davis to me was the just one of the most classic Rangers acquisitions uh, that I've that I've seen in a while because he's just so Rangersy. He's just this big, skinny, super projectable shortstop slash third baseman who maybe you know if you if you squint you can see a, a future star there, but more likely he's probably going to be a you know up and down util guy it's just it's just a lottery ticket low level super toolsy prospect that it seemed like the rangers are always drafting in like the second round or or signing on the international market so i thought davis was just a a classic acquisition by them aj alexi 
is uh, you know a young young guy with uh, a ton of strikeouts. Um, he's just a, a spare part for the Dodgers. Though. I mean, they've they've just an endless amount of pitching depth in that system. He could turn into you know maybe a number four, maybe number three starter if, if everything works out perfectly. But the Dodgers, you know, for them, a guy like that that's that's three years away. That's a that's a piece that you don't mind saying goodbye to. Both of those guys check in inside their top fifteen. Not a super deep system, but I think they did well to add three top four hundred prospects. Obviously, we all know about Willie Calhoun. He was the big prize there, but I thought they did okay. I mean, they they obviously that was the best deal on the table. That was everyone knew Darvish was available. That was the best deal. I think that they they did okay. I don't even want to talk about the Reds here. Um, just spare the listeners this this time around. We'll go to the Twins. <laughs> uh, the number four, yeah, Cole Stewart. He makes some good points here. I haven't didn't get a chance to read this over before because I have been feeling under the weather. But what can you tell me about the Twins and were they able to maybe you know one up the the Braves here in, in acquiring Jaime Garcia and then flipping him? Did they get a couple decent pieces back in that deal? Yeah, I mean, I think that they probably got the better of that uh, total set of transactions uh zach little is you know him and him and who oscar you are probably similar in terms of ceiling and and Littell's just just closer to the big league so i think it makes sense to to add him over a guy like you know and the fact that they're willing to to trade someone like you know probably tells you a little bit about him so obviously they they like little more so that that ended up being a solid set of transactions for them they just they've been so bad for so long that even though they've blown a couple high profile top 10 picks in recent years they still have enough guys on the farm to to rate as an above average system a lot of the damage that's been done in terms of drafting, developing, I think you can pin on the the previous regime. Uh, the new front office seems to be fairly competent, and in Royce Lewis, Nick Gordon, Wander Javier, you have three just really toolsy up the middle guys that you can dream on a little bit. So it's it's a solid system. I mean, there are some guys like Akil Badu's having a huge year, really really emerging as a as a top two hundred type of guy. Uh, they th- I thought they did pretty well in the draft after Royce Lewis, so it's it's a solid system. It's it's not t- quite top ten yet, but they'll be I assume picking fairly high again next year, so they'll, they'll probably climb in there. So the Rockies at twelve, Cardinals at thirteen, and the Blue Jays at fourteen. I'm a little surprised to see them this low, just because of how great their top two prospects are, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. But is it a problem where there's just simply very little behind those two? Yeah, if if they didn't have Guerrero or Bichette, they would have ranked twenty seventh on this list. So just those two guys. So they didn't have one or the other. It'd be twenty seventh. If or if, if they didn't have if, either. if they didn't have either. Okay. If they didn't have either. Um, so I mean, so yeah, sure, you could do you could play that game with a lot of teams. But I mean, it is it's just that that's really all they have. Uh, if you're, I mean, they have Anthony Alford too. Rowdy Telez. Which is fine, yeah, Rowdy Telez. But just in terms of high probability impact prospects, I think Guerrero and Bichette are the two big pieces for them. Uh this new regime really I mean, they they bashed 
Alex Anthopoulos on his way out the door for all the prospects he traded and route to those uh, putting together those contending Blue Jays teams a few years ago. And, you know, you look at all those guys that he traded, uh, you know, Jeff Hoffman and Franklin Barreto are probably the two best guys. Hoffman is a guy who obviously his prospect stock has fallen quite a bit since the trade. Part of that's just being a Rockies pitching prospect, but part of that's his own doing. Franklin Barreto, still a top 50 prospect, but not a guy that where you're like, oh man, he's really going to come back to bite us when you got a guy like Josh Donaldson to show for it. So I think it's kind of interesting that that front office bashed Anthopolis for his moves, but the only guy that they've really brought in since taking over with that has any value at all is Bo Bichette because Guerrero was an Anthopolis signing. Alfred was an Anthopolis draft pick. Uh, you know, Rowdy Telez was an Anthopolis draft pick. All their top guys other than Bichette were part of his regime. So I think it's, it's definitely uh, worth pointing out that, while this new front office was quick to bash him on the way out for trading prospects, they haven't really done much since taking over to, to bolster the system, save for the Boba pick. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we're already past the half hour point on the podcast and, you know, we got several teams to get to, but I just want to know if, you know, as we move down this list, we got nationals, well, Indians, 15 nationals, 16, a 17 Rangers, 18 Mets, 19, Red Sox 20 among this back half which organization in their rank is most inexcusable like where which organization has flopped the most is it the Diamondbacks is it the Tigers which team do you think should have been able to bolster their system more than they have uh, are we talking just at this uh, this past trade deadline or just like in recent well seasons? just in recent memory uh, I mean obviously the Marlins are right um, but you know throwing them out i think the they don't take a ton of heat for it um but i think the mariners have really uh you know they're they're like that team in your fantasy league that you know is making win now moves in june and july and then you look at their roster and you're like wait do you think you can win the league like yeah, with this team like somebody I- like I'm thinking of that's that's kind of who they are they're they're this team that you know they're sort of in the mix for a wild card spot every year but yet they're trading away guys like Luis Gohara Alex Jackson Carlos Vargas who would all be top who are all top 300 prospects now Gohara specifically is a guy that they traded away in a three-teamer I believe that ended up getting him Drew Smiley uh now obviously you can't really see Drew Smiley's arm blowing out uh but you know i mean i think was drew smiley really going to be the guy that that took them from being a uh, team outside of the playoff picture to being a contender obviously probably not and then it's it's kind of a black eye for them that trading gohara and alex jackson away like as soon as those guys got to atlanta their prospect stock just really took off i mean that says something about your player development department um they luckily have had two really good first round picks i think and and kyle lewis and evan white if it wasn't for those two picks this might be maybe the worst system in baseball the dan vogelbach trade i liked it for them a little bit at the time but they clearly don't value his bat 
as much as a lot of the internet does. So I don't really understand why he was the target if they were going to be so comfortable letting him sit at AAA all year. Uh, just a team that I think probably should have been uh, maybe more patient in terms of a rebuild and just kept making move after move after move to try to get ahead and you know that now they're left with a team that's old and not really a contender at the big league level and a farm system that i've ranked 22nd so they're they're kind of in that no man's land that you don't want to be angels royals giants marlins rounding out the top 30 not really a surprise anywhere there but the, the cubs at number 24 obviously this isn't a big surprise after they traded eloy jimenez but i thought it was interesting that theo epstein said that this team was one poor stretch out of the break away from becoming sellers and i just wonder kind of what your thoughts are on that and maybe if theo has a bit of a quick trigger and maybe if that'll be something that we will continue to see in future years where you know even if they have a decent club they end up selling some pieces to further bolster the system which has been pretty depleted well i think that they are just in a perfect position as a franchise to be able to pivot to whatever makes the most baseball sense because they have ownership that has endless pocketbooks at this point i mean they're the money they make on attendance and everything is you know probably second to none uh that world series obviously bought them a, a lot of a lot of goodwill so you know i don't know what the market would have been like for a guy like jake arietta if they'd they'd made him available but you know you you're sitting there staring at a team like the dodgers team like the nationals you're gonna have to beat two of them to get to the world series i would i would have totally understood it if if they were just kind of clearly looked like a distant third best team in in the national league around this time yeah i guess i guess selling off some expiring contracts would have been a, a solid way to go uh but yeah like i said it's it's it was such a it was such a buyer's market that what would you have really even gotten for a guy like jake arietta especially i mean arietta's for sure and and arietta's been pitching better lately too um if he hadn't turned it around that would have probably been part of the reason why they were sellers in the first place so then you're looking at i mean the cardinals clearly weren't getting a ton of intriguing hits on lance lynn so i don't really know what the market would have been for a guy like arietta but uh this system is down obviously i applaud all their moves though i think going out and getting jose quintana getting justin wilson you know they're they're still the third best team probably in the the national league assuming steven strasburg's healthy for the playoffs but they're they're in with a puncher's chance and they've shown a really good ability to go find international talent develop talent uh they've drafted fairly well even though they've been picking um towards the back of the draft in recent years so i don't think this system's ever going to get back up to top 10 status because they're going to be in such a win now mode and their their big league club is so young that you know they're not going to have many openings to fill up there anytime soon but i think that they're going to be able to stay ahead of some of the more poorly poorly run teams that are actually trying to rebuild uh like the tigers like the uh marlins you know i mean i don't think the cubs are going to ever sink to that level interesting yeah i think i agree with you that they're probably behind the dodgers and the the nats but yeah top to bottom this 25 man roster 
very few holes in that. Like even the Dodgers have Tony Singrani now. <laughs> He'll probably be DFA'd. Well, you know he's not going to make the playoff roster. No, like no. that was just like a uh, we're the Dodgers. Like we'll just here just take take this no <laughs> nobody prospect. We'll take him. He'll probably be bad. We'll probably not use him in the playoffs. But just in case, like we'll we'll just take him here, just in take case. S- Take Scott Van Slyke's contract. <laughs> pay him the rest. We don't want to pay him anymore. I want to balance this out. <laughs> to balance out the money for Tony Sinera. Just silly. Well, good stuff as always, James. Check out his latest Farm Futures piece, ranking the farm systems up on the site right now, rotowire.com slash pod for a free 10-day trial. We're going to move on to our latest hip-hop albums on our countdowns. We're to number eight. We hit number 10 and number nine on our respective list last two weeks so go check those out when we're done if you didn't hear those i'm just gonna say what mine is because it's a it's an easy choice it's an old standby it takes a nation of millions to hold us back by a public enemy nice. now under my personal rules that i'm implementing for myself that kind of means that I had to exclude fear of a black planet, but I, I chose between the two, and it takes a nation of millions, just gets the slight edge because, I don't know, it's just something about this album. You know, starting with Countdown to Armageddon, Bring the Noise, I mean, Terminator X, To the Edge of Panic, is really top to bottom just a great album. And when I was younger, you know, I was, and this was the case with a lot of albums, I'd listen to the first half of it, and, you know, whatever your, your trip would end or you'd come to a stop and you wouldn't listen to the, the back half as much. The back half is arguably even better than the, the top half, and I've grown to appreciate that in recent years. Just an incredible, incredible masterpiece of, of hip-hop music. Uh, Public Enemy, absolutely insane. And I think now among the the... You know, I'm a millennial too, but among the younger millennials, really kind of overlooked Public Enemy. Yeah, I think, you know, I think people that are really into hip hop, even if you're only 21, 22, whatever, uh, you've probably dug up some Tribe Called Quest. You've probably, you know, obviously some gangster listened to some like NWA, that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't get the sense that Public Enemy. Uh, gets as much love among the the younger audience as they probably should. I mean, this was you could make a case that this was the most influential hip hop act of all time. I mean, I mean, it holds of, up today too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Completely. Um, I mean, the beats like uh, the beats that they they were working with were just absolutely cutting edge and still absolutely. You know, would I mean if you if you heard um, something, you know, a, a Public Enemy beat on a on an album today, like it would, uh, you'd be like, wow, this is this is banging. Um, yeah, it's a banger. I think the maybe a reason for that is because of the television career, the reality TV career of Flav of Flav. Because I know, like our own Nick Whalen, like didn't even know Flav of Flav was like a real member of a hip hop group. Right. That he was really a rapper, more so of a hype man, but he has his own solo track on this album, which I actually think is surprisingly good. Uh, but I think maybe that kind of, you know, people got a bad sense in their head about who Flavor Flav truly is. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, Chuck D in his prime, I mean, he wasn't the same type of lyricist as like a rock him. Uh, Not far off though. But like, 
I mean, just, I, I mean, just in terms of style, yeah, like, I, like not, you know, he's very, a lot more kind of direct, uh, you know, I think even, maybe even more political than, than rock him and, uh, probably, probably underrated in that regard. I mean, I think, you know, I, I bought their, the you know, public enemy's greatest hits when that, when that came out way back in the day. And, you know, a lot of those tracks are, are off of, off of this album. Um, it's just, they, they have so many classics and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, still very culturally relevant yeah exactly i think we've seen them become more at the forefront of the public conscious lately but you know she watched channel zero on here rebel without a pause prophets of rage even party for your right to fight i love that song and the beats are incredible so if you haven't heard this i mean this is truly mandatory listening if you have not heard takes a nation of millions to hold us back 1988 released by public enemy james what's your number eight all right uh my number eight is the black album by jay-z uh probably should have been his final studio album uh <laughs> he said 444 was good it was all right but i mean what what we had to deal with to get to 444 was it worth it i don't know probably not uh no, I mean, I, I people love to trash Jay Z's career post Black Album. I, there's still tracks from some of those albums that I that I like, but uh, just definitely a, a big step down in in overall quality from his uh, Reasonable Doubt to Blue, to Black Album career. Uh, you know, Black Album is there's no featured guests. It's just Jay Z and some of the best hip hop producers of all time uh, with some of their best beats of all time. And I think this is still peak jay-z on on most of these tracks in terms of just the lyricism and the flow uh i mean the the swag is probably at an all-time high um you know some amazing production by just blaze kanye west uh neptunes timbaland ninth wonder eminem produces a track on here rick rubin produces a track dj quick uh i mean there's just it's a it's a who's who of production uh there are some there's some tracks that I that I'll usually skip, which you know typically I'll, I'll hold against an album. But you know tracks like December Fourth, What More Can I Say, Encore, Threat, uh, Public Service Announcement, Lucifer, My First Song. Like I'll I'll go back to those songs still, and I absolutely played the hell out of this album for the first two or three years that it that, that it was out and obviously there wasn't another jay-z album to follow it up for for a couple of years so it was pretty much all you had uh certainly infinitely better than the blueprint too oh yeah the gift and the curse that was horrible <laughs> i mean it, it you could clearly tell that um that there was an effort here by him to to go out with you know, the best product he could possibly dish out. I mean, blueprint two was obviously if that was, if that had just been one album, maybe it, maybe it holds up a little bit better, but trying to go double disc there. You're not master P here. I mean, it's not, it's just who was at, who was kind of clamoring for a double disc, just, just pump out a, another seemed really rushed classic album. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I, I think, I think, black album holds up i 
I will say that it, it's not the only Jay-Z album I have on my top 10, so it's it's not like I think it's his best work of all time, but I think that it's better than most people's best work. And, um, you know, the we're talking about the, the beats on uh, It Takes a Nation of Millions. I mean, the beats on the Black album would still just go out there and, and run <laughs> run circles around most of the production on whatever album you're listening to right now. So uh, I think most people have probably heard Black Album. Most people have probably either developed are either in my camp or they're just kind of, they've played it so much that they're, they're over it. Or maybe they think like, like I could see you thinking a song like Encore or uh, maybe a song like Lucifer 99 Problems is a bit, bit cheesy or something like that. Or, I mean, certainly change clothes dirt off your shoulder i mean maybe that's that's not what you're looking for in in hip-hop but uh i think you know the the lyrics on most of these songs are are still you know really really plus plus and the the production is obviously i think 80 grade on this album yeah not my favorite jay album actually probably third among his albums for me behind reasonable doubt and well, number one, big blueprint for me, but it's still really like this album. And if you really want to you know, talk about killing your own credibility, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. The Guardian gave it two stars out of five. Come on. <laughs> I, mean, I like this album a lot. It's not my favorite, but it's it's better than that. And that that uh, review I don't go, certainly doesn't hold. I don't go to The Guardian for my, for my hip-hop reviews. No, they shouldn't even be included on the Wikipedia page. Just get this out of here. I got a Guardian shout-out for you. <laughs> Hey, they killed their own credibility. <laughs> well, that'll do it for us. Number seven next week, we'll continue the hip-hop countdown. And, James, I'm sure you'll have something great for us. Any idea what, what the topic is ne- next week? Man, I do not know. Uh, the the farm system thing is something that I've been working on for a minute. Um, got, you know, a ton of... It, you know, if you go look at our top twenty prospect rankings, those are all fully up to date, fully vetted based on the the trade deadline and a lot of work leading up to the trade deadline on those. So um, definitely go check those out if you haven't. Uh, not not really sure what I'll be doing yeah. next week. Well, but. we'll figure it out. Even if there isn't you know something nailed down, we can just talk about some more risers and followers and continue with the hip hop countdown. But yeah, we'll be be back with you guys next week on the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
and hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.